In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, part three of an ongoing series on false flags, the JFK assassination, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, and the attack on the USS Liberty. One of those little machine gun boats did attack it, that there was never a second attack, that the message was lost in translation between the Maddox and DC, but even when they figured out what was going on, they wanted to go ahead and put this into motion because let's face it, a lot of these factors that killed JFK, one of them was the military industrial complex. So there was a lot of money to be made in this war. This podcast is brought to you by Canada's decontamination specialists. Crime and trauma scene cleaners is committed to helping people when tragedy strikes. Their objective is to restore safety to an environment in the most professional and discreet manner possible. Call Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners at 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email at info at crimescenecleaners.ca. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Clint Lacey, the author of A Beginner's Guide to False Flags, is back for part three. I'll get to that conversation in just a few minutes. I wanted to let you know I'll be filling in for George Norrie this coming Friday, June 28th on Coast to Coast AM. I hope you can listen. Starting at 10 p.m. Pacific, you can go to coasttocoastam.com and the affiliates page to find a radio station that carries the program near you. A while back, I asked for your favorite Stephen Wright jokes. Here's a few faves from 
Lady Moon in Wilsonville, Oregon. Half the people you know are below average. I almost had a psychic girlfriend, but she left me before we met. Everyone has a photographic memory. Some just don't have film. Thanks, Lady Moon. If you have a favorite Stephen Wright line, send it to me at richardserrett one at gmail.com. And I'll put all the entries into a hat and draw a name sometime in the next week or two for some Strange Planet merchandise. Again, the email richardserrett one at gmail.com. Don't forget to include your name and address and put Stephen Wright in the subject line. Okay, here comes part three on false flags. Clint Lacey is a lifelong resident of Missouri. He's an independent writer who's been published in both mainstream and independent newspapers and magazines. In 2015, he released his first book, Blood in the Ozarks, Union War Crimes Against Southern Sympathizers and Civilians in Occupied Missouri. His latest book is The Beginner's Guide to false flags. Clint Lacey, welcome back yet again to Conspiracy Unlimited for part three of our series on false flags. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Rich? I'm terrific. Thanks. Well, eventually, of course, all roads lead back to Jack Kennedy, and we have to discuss that. The idea that the assassination of Kennedy was some sort of a false flag, obviously, it's sort of the granddaddy of conspiracies. And I've always said they were lined up three deep to kill Kennedy. You had the CIA, you had organized crime, you had Cuban exiles living in the United States who perceived Kennedy to be soft on communism. But how do you look at the assassination of Kennedy as a false flag? Okay, uh, just to simplify things, Kennedy had made enemies. He made enemies uh, of the CIA. Before the Bay of Pigs incident, uh, the United States was training uh, Cuban exiles in New Orleans, Louisiana, and in Florida. And uh, this was under the control of the Central Intelligence Agency. Um, So during the Bay of Pigs invasion, uh, it was going badly for this uh, CIA operation. And they thought President Kennedy should give them air support. Uh, but he wasn't going to do that and risk World War III with Russia by bombing Cuba. Uh, so that fell apart. A lot of guys got killed. They never really quite got over that. So, you know, it, it was a... Uh, sure, they they felt betrayed by, by Kennedy. He simply didn't want it to be so obvious that this was a U.S. operation. I don't think he had any problem with Castro being overthrown by Cuban exiles, but he just didn't want the world to say that the United States was behind it. Well, it's always the same story. We don't want to be perceived as firing the first shot. And if we're perceived as firing the first shot in Cuba's instance, well, then we've got Russia to deal with. Uh, and we saw that during the you know nuclear missile crisis. So the CIA had a bone to pick with them. And one of those CIA players was uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, George W. Bush's father. He had CIA connections going back to the 50s through this oil company. He denies that, or denied it, and he denied it multiple times, but it can be traced back. And this was really a plot that involved former U.S. presidents, former now. They weren't then, obviously. The CIA, and this is a touchy subject to some people, but it also involved Israel, and I'll get into that. That happened. We will get on to uh, to Israel in a minute, but you mentioned uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and his oil company. Was it Zapata uh, Oil? And, That's correct. And there were a couple of vessels that were involved in the Bay of Pigs invasion. The names of some of these ships were kind of interesting. They had a kind of a connection to Bush. One of them was called Barbara, wasn't it? Yes. 
uh, he was heavily involved in this. And uh, I believe uh, Johnson was in Dallas, Texas the night before the assassination. George H.W. Bush was there with his 15-year-old son, George W. Bush. And if I'm not mistaken, Nixon was down there too. And it involved another U.S. president, Ford. He wasn't there. I don't believe he was there. But he would later uh, be integral in uh, steering this investigation at Kennedy's assassination away from accuracy. That was his job, make sure nobody found out who really did it. Right. And it almost seems like Nixon, it was always interesting. (laughs) I remember Nixon being interviewed I don't know if it was by David Frost. Nixon was asked, where were you on November 22nd, 1963? And he said he couldn't remember. Yeah, and I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, George H.W. Bush said the same thing. Yes, yes. Come on now. Everybody who is over the age of six remembers exactly where they were and what they were doing, what clothes they were wearing. (laughs) You name it. They know exactly what was going on that day. But those two, curiously, (laughs) uh, no memory. Yeah, and it's just a coincidence that they would become presidents later on. Mm. <laughs> they had all met, I think, that meeting the night before. Was it Clint Murchison's? He was an oil baron, right? Didn't they meet at his place? And did it have something to do with an oil depletion tax or something that Kennedy was looking at? No, I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, certainly not saying it wasn't in there because it's highly possible it was. I just, it's not ringing any bells with me, but... Yet another reason to want Kennedy dead. Now he, now he had ticked off the oil cartel. Yeah, he ticked off a lot of people, a lot of the wrong people. If I'm not mistaken, he fired uh, CIA Director Alan Dulles, too, didn't he? Yes, he threatened to, to smash the CIA into a million pieces and scatter it to the winds. I think that was his direct quote. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's one more. So you have the CIA, and let's not forget... Another uh, angle to want Kennedy dead was Lyndon Johnson himself, who wanted to be president so bad he just couldn't stand it. And I'm sure the CIA approached him as part of this. Um, you know, he, he, he swore himself in, or he got sworn in on the airplane, as, you know, after this assassination happened. They were flying back to Washington when he got sworn in. He just could not wait to be president. Um and really, he wasn't supposed to be on the ticket to begin with, but they thought they needed him to carry Texas. Right, right. Texas was uh, Republican back then in a, ma- in a major way. Kennedy was yes. not loved in Texas, that's for sure. So during this, I uh, stumbled upon a concept called reverse speech. Have you ever heard of this? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm very familiar with uh, uh, David John Oates, the, uh, the discoverer of uh, reverse speech. Yes, and what he says is, if human speech is recorded and played backwards, mixed amongst the gibberish at regular intervals, can be heard very clear statements. So no matter what you say consciously, subconsciously, it will be revealed, or it will be revealed what your subconscious is thinking when you play the speech in reverse. Right. So they did a reverse speech, uh, analyzed some recordings, and what it revealed was Lee Harvey Oswald was working for the U.S government his loyalties were with the white house and he had knowledge of the assassination plot as early as august 63 for reasons that are unknown at this stage due to the lack of audio on oswald he ended up in dallas and was set up as the fall guy for the assassination he knew who the real assassins were and was ready to reveal this information 
His remarks following his uh, arrest, protesting his innocence and claiming he was a patsy, are totally true. The real assassins consisted of three men, one of whom was a mafia hitman named James Files, who fired the fatal headshot. Uh, and it says these men and their bosses worked in cooperation with J. Edgar Hoover, and they took out JFK with five to six shots, two of which missed their target, and three to four which hit. Oates and his investigative team give the following reasons for Kennedy's assassination. Kennedy was upsetting the status quo. Changes he was proposing and the people he was upsetting are too numerous to mention. There are many reasons for wanting Kennedy out of office, including, but certainly not limited to, Bobby Kennedy's aggressive prosecutions and investigations into the mob. There was also Kennedy's threat to shatter the CIA into a million pieces, which you just mentioned. Uh, another reason we propose, and this is purely our conjecture, it says, is that powerful men needed war for profit. However, Kennedy was talking about reducing the United States' involvement in Vietnam, and uh, he was also intimidating Israel, uh, calling for nuclear inspections. Now, this one's a biggie, because this one is something a lot of, a lot of people have not heard, nor would they ever think possible. Um if I can find that, um, okay, here we go. Reverse speech taken from conversations between Lyndon B. Johnson and J. Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover reveals Israeli participation in, in the conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy. During one portion of the conversation, Hoover is addressing rather mocking rumors uh, that more than one man was involved in the assassination. Hoover tells LBJ there must have been more than one man because no one man could fire those shots in the time they were fired. When this audio clip is reversed, you can hear Hoover say, no one thought the man now belonged to the Knesset. Of course, the Knesset is the Israeli parliament. Audio from Alan Dulles also implicates the government of Israel. In one clip, Dulles states, even if you had 10 more commissions, it doesn't get away from the idea that maybe there was a plot. We just didn't find any traces of it. When the audio is reversed, Dulles says, tough was Israeli damned with their day. Hmm. So that's pretty pretty damning stuff. Uh, if you subscribe to, you know, reverse speech, and, and I, I find it, I do find reverse speech, the phenomena fascinating. I don't know that I would, you know, suggest that it's, 100% accurate, or at least the interpretation is 100% accurate. However, the, the idea that JFK was threatening Israel, I don't know if threatening was the right word, but he was demanding that the United States be able to inspect Israel's nuclear program. They were developing quite a nuclear arsenal. They do have anywhere between, I think I've read 80 to 400 nuclear missiles and various means of of delivering them. And the prime minister at the time, that was, was that David Ben-Gurion? Yes. Uh, the prime minister, yeah, he was not happy with that. The, the idea here is that Israeli intelligence, Mossad, was somehow involved. They, they had a stake in wanting JFK dead because he was threatening Israel's nuclear, their aspirations of becoming a nuclear power. Well, uh, keep in mind, too, that, that part of their strategy was the Samson option in which uh, they would fire on a large portion of the West if the West didn't aid them. 
Hmm. Well, here's the thing, my take on that. The reverse speech aside, and I have a great deal of uh, respect for, for David John Oates. I've had him on my program a number of times. And again, I, I think he's onto something with the reverse speech. But then it becomes, well, how do you interpret what is being said and so forth? JFK was really the first president that said to Israel, and again, this is 20, 20 years after their, their the formation of the state of Israel. JFK was yes. the first one really to tell Israel, we have your back. They gave Israel anti-rocket artillery because at that time, obviously, it was, uh, you know, in the newly formed uh, state of Israel, they were concerned about their aggressive Arab neighbors. And of course, that did spill out into war during the Six-Day War. So that bit about Kennedy wanting to inspect their uh, their nuclear program, that did certainly cause some some serious strain. The question is, though, would Israel want to get rid of someone at that time who was really their best friend, the first president to ever say, Israel, we have your back? I mean, they love Jack Kennedy in Israel. Well, uh, the answer to that question could be formed in a message uh, message exchange between uh, Kennedy and Prime Minister Ben-Gurion concerning American visits and inspections to Israel's nuclear facility at Dimona. Kennedy wrote, most recently, the prime minister wrote to me on May 27th. His words reflected a most intense personal consideration of a problem that I know is not easy for your government, as it is not for mine. We welcome the former prime minister's strong reaffirmation that Demona will be devoted exclusively to peaceful purposes, and the reaffirmation also of Israel's willingness to permit periodic visits and inspections to Demona. I regret having to add to your burden so soon after your assumption of office, but I feel the crucial importance of this problem necessitates my taking up with you at this early date certain further considerations arising out of Mr. Ben-Gurion's May 27th letter. As to the nature and scheduling of such visits, I'm sure you will agree that these visits should be as nearly as possible in accord with international standards, thereby resolving all doubts and scheduling of such visits. I am sure you will agree that these visits should be as nearly as possible in accord with international standards, thereby resolving all doubts as to the peaceful intent of the Demona Project. As I wrote Mr. Ben-Gurion, this government's commitment to and support of Israel could be seriously jeopardized if it should be thought that we were unable to obtain reliable information on a subject as vital to the peace as the question of Israel's effort in the nuclear field. So he's saying, I'm your friend and we have your support, but I can't guarantee that if you don't let us inspect these nuclear facilities. Right. Yeah, it did cause a strain, no question. You know, it is a, it is a tough one. I'm a, a huge fan of the state of Israel. I'm kind of an Israel right or wrong kind of guy, even though obviously Israel is not perfect. No country is. They've made mistakes. I find it hard to believe. You, let's say, for example, we look at the, the Obama administration. I can't think of a president in the last 60 years who was less friendly to the state of Israel. Under the Obama administration, talk about, you know, interference in other countries' elections. Obama threw everything he had into an effort to defeat Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's party in uh, the 2015 election. The Senate investigated this. They found almost a half a million dollars went to some group called One Voice. 
and they launched a campaign called V15, Victory 2015. And the, the objective was to elect, to elect as prime minister anyone other than Netanyahu. You know, you would think if anything was going to raise the, uh, the ire of Israel and make them feel betrayed, it would have been something like that. But yet they remain, you know, pretty good allies. So I don't know. Not to say that there haven't been dark chapters in, in the relationship between Israel and the United States, as we'll discuss later with the USS Liberty. I don't know that I think that that particular incident would, would be enough to want Israel to want Kennedy dead. That's just my take, my opinion. You describe yourself as an Israel fan, right or wrong. And, uh, you know, I can respect that. I don't know if I consider myself a fan. I'm not an enemy. But at the same time, as we both said, they have a number of nuclear weapons. So I have to wonder why they need so much military aid from us. And they have a strong presence in our government. And my, I guess, view on Israel would be uh, we, we should never attack them, okay? That would just not turn out good. I don't think it would. But at the same time, I don't think they should be trying to tell us what to do. Hmm. I guess I could put it that way. Just one final note on on the Israel nuclear program. I have One of the reasons I'm such a fan of Israel is just because it's that one island, that one oasis in that region that shares our values for tolerance and, and democracy and liberty and freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And so I think they're deserving of our support just because we, we do share many of the same values. Again, not to say that they're perfect by any stretch. The other thing I would say is if any country was going to have nukes in the Middle East, I'd prefer it to be Israel, uh, just because it's a very um, a stable country, and I think they are far less likely to use them than, than most other countries in that region. But again, that's my opinion. Well, it, it would be my hope, it is my hope, that nobody ever uses them again. Of Anybody. course, of course, of course. Uh, nobody wants to die, certainly not that way. More of my conversation with Clint Lacey on False Flags when Conspiracy Unlimited continues. Did you know that bee pollen contains almost all of the nutrients required by the human body to thrive? Or that it's a super nutritious way to boost your energy levels? That's why bee pollen is referred to as nature's most complete health food and a natural immune booster. Bee pollen may help boost brain function and it may aid occasional seasonal allergies. Get your bee happy bee pollen at getthetea.com. That's right, getthetea.com. So much more than just great herbal teas. Bee happy bee pollen. Check out the recently reduced prices and please remember, bee pollen should be avoided by anyone with an allergy to honey or bees. Bee happy bee pollen from getthetea.com. say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Clint Lacey, the author of A Beginner's Guide to False Flags, is here. So from November 63 to August 64, and uh, here we go again, sort of a, a classic false flag. 
And I don't think at this point in history there's any doubt now. You know, some historians might argue and quibble with some of the others, but this has been pretty well proven now. I think there were some secret tapes released from the Johnson White House several years ago, which pretty much confirmed that the Gulf of Tonkin, which was supposedly the provocation for the United States escalating their presence in the Vietnamese conflict, it was, in fact, a false flag. It's been proven now, hasn't it? Yeah, uh... There's a couple different theories on that. Uh, one is that a ship was attacked one day, but it was a little fast-moving machine gun boat that would pretty much be like swatting a mosquito away. Uh, if they wanted to, they could have blown it out of the water, never had to do any more. Uh, another theory, actually there's a few theories. Uh, another theory is that there was a second attack on the Maddox which is what uh, brought on the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. Um, And a lot of people attribute that to a miscommunication from the crew of the Maddox to Washington, D.C. Kind of like when you play the telephone game. Uh, And yet another theory is it never happened at all, and it was just justification to get us into that war. Which do you believe to be the the actual truth? My theory is one of those little machine gun boats did attack it, that there was never a second attack, that the message was lost in translation between the Maddox and D.C., but even when they figured out what was going on, they wanted to go ahead and put this into motion because, let's face it, a lot of these factors that killed JFK, one of them was the military-industrial complex. So there was a lot of money to be made in this war. And Lyndon Johnson, I can't remember if it was him or his wife, one of the two had a real strong connection to Kellogg's Brown Root, which was a construction company. And it just so happens it had all the government contracts to go in and build up South Vietnam. Aha. There's also, of course, the Bell Helicopter connection. That was um, a gold mine for Bell Helicopter in Vietnam at the time. And and it's interesting that Walter Dornberger, who was one of these uh, Nazi officers that was exfiltrated out of Germany during Operation Paperclip, he comes to the United States, finds himself in charge of Bell Helicopter, and, uh, and then just a month before his assassination, Kennedy signed National Security Action Memorandum 263, I think it was, that would eventually draw down the U.S. presence They had about 16,000 military personnel in South Vietnam at the time, but he wanted to basically draw that down uh, and wrap things up by 1965. A lot of defense contractors were very upset with Kennedy for that. I would say Bell Helicopter may be at the front of the line. So there's kind of that Nazi connection, the Nazi connection to Kennedy's assassination with uh, Dornberger. And you just brought up another good point. (laughs) If the greater threat was Germany and not the Soviet Union, how come we brought so many Nazis over here for our rocket programs and our military programs and everything else so we get we could get the jump on the Soviet Union? Right, right. And as far as Bell Helicopter, you know, the Huey Helicopter, the Bell Huey Helicopter, that is synonymous with the Vietnam War. Oh, yes. They are one and the same forever linked. Absolutely. Uh, and I grew up. A lot of my dad's friends were Vietnam vets. Uh, My father volunteered for the Army because he knew his number was coming up, and he thought I might as well get a skill out of this. And that's who taught him to weld was the U.S. Army, and for some unknown reason, he never got shipped over there. 
but most of his friends did. And I've heard stories, you know. And it's like I said before, it's, these are false flags. These don't. This doesn't mean we don't honor our veterans, because when the country calls, these guys go, and they go willingly most of the time. And then they see these scenes from hell that nobody should ever see. And then they're the ones that have to live with it the rest of their lives. That takes us to uh, June of 1967. And I, I mentioned, although, you know, a tremendous fan of the state of Israel and, and believe strongly in not only the United States supporting Israel, but also here in Canada, that there, there haven't been dark chapters. There certainly have. And one such example would be the USS Liberty incident. So let's just sort of set the table, Clint. What happened June 8th of uh, 1967? Okay, I'll just read straight from the book. On June 8th, 1967, the USS Liberty was attacked by elements of the Navy and Air Force of Israel. The ship was in international waters and contained no armament, armaments. It was an intelligence, intelligence-gathering ship. The Liberty was under surveillance for nine hours by Israeli aircraft and radar. They knew the Liberty was a United States ship. In fact, there was no way they could have not known that it was a U.S. vessel. Yet with full knowledge that it was an American ship, Israel attacked the Liberty, killing 34 U.S. sailors and injuring 174. More information was found on the American Free Press newspaper uh, article. Israeli jets fired rockets, cannons, and dropped napalm for almost 30 minutes, leaving almost a thousand holes in the former World War II cargo vessel, slaughtering nine Americans. The air attack was quickly followed by a seaborne attack by three torpedo boats, which launched five uh, torpedoes and fired armor-piercing rounds at close range to breach the Liberty skin to hit the boiler, which would have been catastrophic for the ship. One torpedo hit the spaces that housed the sailors, Marines, and civilians working on the NSA or working for the NSA, and 25 were instantly killed. The torpedo boats, also in violation of the Geneva Convention, machine gunned all the life rafts and fired on the sailors, attempting to assist the wounded and put out the fires. Battle carrier groups conducting maneuvers off the coast of Crete launched aircraft to defend the Liberty, but the planes were twice recalled by Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara and President Johnson, who commented that he would rather see the Liberty sink than embarrass our ally Israel. An article published in Israel's Haaretz newspaper on July 19, 2017, quotes a story reported by former U.S. Ambassador to Lebanon, Dwight Porter, who recounted a conversation between an Israeli pilot and the Israel Air Force war room, which allegedly picked up an NSA aircraft and inadvertently cabled to CIA offices around the world. And the transcript uh, goes as follows. Israel, uh, Israeli pilot to IDF war room. This is an American ship. Do you still want us to attack? IDF war room to the Israeli pilot. Yes, follow your orders. Israeli pilot to the IDF war room, but sir, it's an American ship. I can see the flag. IDF war room to the Israeli pilot. Never mind. Hit it. There are two alternative conclusions that can be drawn from this attack and President Johnson's reaction to it. The first is 
It was a false flag done by Johnson in an attempt to blame Egypt for the attack and get America involved in the Six-Day War in support of Israel. The second one is, it was a false flag operation conducted by Israel in an attempt to blame Egypt for the attack and get America involved in the Six-Day War in support of Israel. On March 31, 1968, President Johnson announced in a radio and television speech major changes to America's policy in Vietnam. Johnson stunned the nation by also announcing he would not seek re-election for a second term as president. And I had to wonder about this. If Israel did have a hand in it, in Kennedy's assassination, then uh, Israel, the CIA, and Johnson were all linked together. Uh, Israel would have had the motivation because Kennedy's persistence in wanting to inspect their nuclear facilities. The CIA had motivation uh, because uh, Kennedy would not give air support to the Bay of Pigs invasion and because his brother Robert Kennedy broke up the CIA bases in uh, Florida and Louisiana. And Johnson, uh, he wanted to be president, so they helped him get there. And I kind of think that the reason he resigned is whether he knew about it and set this thing up and some Israelis went along with it or Israel did it without Johnson's knowledge and you know he told the United States Navy to stand down um, I think maybe Johnson feared for himself uh, he did a lot of things to get in that office and he knew who put him there and perhaps it was either fear for his life or an extreme amount of guilt which convinced him not to run for re-election or all the above. Hmm. Well, I have to admit, the, uh, the, the Israeli attack on the USS Liberty is a head-scratcher for me. And, and I think you're right. I think the evidence suggests that they did know that it was, you know, it was flying U.S. flags. It was clearly marked. The idea, though, that they wanted to bring the United States into the Six-Day War, that I don't buy because by June 8th, the, Israel pretty much had the war in hand. They didn't need the United States at that point. So... I just, I don't know what the motivation was. It was a horrible, horrible attack. We should point out, you know, Israel maintained that it was a case of misidentification, miscommunication. It is difficult uh, for me to buy that. And that pains me to say it, because again, I'm a big supporter. But they did pay reparations. They paid, in today's dollars, it was um, close to $100 million to the 34 families that were killed. They paid again. Uh, for those injured. And then again, I think they, they paid again in nineteen in the early 1980s for the damages to the ship and so forth. So, you know, they apologized, they paid reparations. Still, I, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the, uh, the Trying to drag the United States into the Six-Day War, though, that one doesn't make sense to me. I could be wrong. Okay, let me iterate on that one. And I have some inside knowledge on this. First of all, I'll say my father is a very big supporter of Israel. So was my mom. He was in the Army at this time. They had orders to pack up, get ready to ship out. They were not allowed to call home, nothing. So they sat there getting ready to get shipped out in full gear for I don't know how many hours. Finally, they got the stand-down order, and my dad said a guy asked the sergeant, he said, where were we headed, Sarge? And the sergeant said, Israel. 
Hmm. It was just over so quick that, but that's what my dad said, and I believe him. Right, right. Um, yeah, and, you know, there is the case of the pilot who didn't want to do it, but was forced to do it. Right, right. Uh, and as far as the reparation goes, I've seen interviews with these guys on the Liberty, and there's no amount of money that's going to make them be at peace with the people that did it to them. No, of course not. That doesn't make it go away. But, it, you know, clearly Israel was being contrite, I think. When they paid it, you know, different regime. But yeah, but, David Ben-Gurion, again, was no longer prime minister. Different regime. I think they were contrite. However, yeah, it, it's a dark chapter in U.S.-Israel relations, to be sure. My father was going to be among the troops that were going to be sent to Israel. Well, I think that one of the reasons the Liberty was was stationed off the coast of the Sinai Desert, the United States was concerned that Egypt, which was kind of cozy with the Soviet Union at the time, I think they were concerned that the Soviets might get involved. What do you think about that? That's a distinct possibility, yes. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, there's no more Soviet Union, but we still watch Russia. And there's you know, there's two schools to thought on Russia right now, and one is that Russia is one of the only country standing between the globalists ruling the world, and you know, between the globalists and the free world. And another theory is, well, they're still communist at heart. And I don't really know which to believe. I don't, I don't trust Putin. I don't know. He's he's done a lot of good things for Russia, uh, but he is ex KGB. But then again, we got a lot of people in Congress that were ex CIA, you know, or, or worked in some capacity the intelligence field. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, they have a, a huge nuclear arsenal. We have to dialogue with them, but we also have to remember their GDP is basically, I think, less than the size of Texas. They are not an economic power, and I think I think we need to focus more on China, to be sure, than we, than we should be focusing on Russia. I think we had an opportunity maybe to work with Russia after the fall of the... the um, the Berlin Wall. Uh, we made promises to them that NATO would not encroach one inch towards Moscow. That promise was clear, clearly broken. I mean, we have been consistently, yeah. we have been poking the bear for a very long time. We have a history of breaking promises. Look at the Kurds yes. in northern Iraq. How many times have we hung them out to dry? Yes, yes. How many more times are they going to listen to us? And maybe it's because Turkey's in NATO. Right, right. And a large portion of uh, uh, Turkey is Kurds. That's true. Strange bedfellows, indeed. All right, we're going to pick this up again down the road. There will be a, a part four, maybe even a part five. Who knows? <laughs> we're working our way through A Beginner's Guide to False Flags with uh, Clint Lacey. Clint, again, how do people get a copy of the book? You can go to Amazon and type in Clint Lacey, C-L-I-N-T-L-A-C-Y, in the Amazon search bar, or you can visit foothillsmedia.net. Uh, you can also email me at foothillsmedia at yahoo.com. And I know part of this discussion, we kind of touched on some, you know, some edgy subjects, but we got through it. Sure, we can't we can't ignore it, but that's all right. We got it said. I, I made my position clear, and, and you did too, and I think that was a, a lively but fair and respectful uh, discussion, and I thank you for it. Thank you, Richard. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be right back with a few details on an upcoming episode. 
If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me. And all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Coming up tomorrow, it's a bonus episode, Thursdays with Ronnie, as we discuss pharmaceutical suggestibility, placebos, and nocebos. Here's the thing. Trauma doctor that I met a couple week and a half ago, this is what he said to me. Blew me away. I was telling him, I said, yeah, the doctor wanted me to take this drug, and he says, don't do it. And I said, really? I'm thinking this is coming from a doctor. Don't do it. He says, do you know what the hardest thing for the pharmaceuticals to beat is? I said, no, I don't. The placebo. It runs 30%. They can't beat it. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.